Well, welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Appalachia Reformation Network. Uh, I am Sean Morris, one of your hosts, and I'm here today once again with Kelly Baldridge, another one of our frequent hosts. Kelly, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, Sean, thank you. Thank you for hosting. Well, we're we're glad to to be doing this, and of course, the the Appalachia Reformation Network is a, is a fairly new endeavor. Uh, we're just getting off the ground, and we're trying to get our our little podcast off the ground as well, and and uh, get episodes out there and get folks tuned in and listening. And so we thought for today's episode, it would be good to, because this is so close to the heart of the mission and the vision of what Appalachia Reformation Network is trying to accomplish. Uh, We're trying to foster a Reformation awakening in its own way in the greater Appalachia region to serve churches, uh, to help cultivate healthier churches um, as as we're inculcating and promoting the doctrines of grace. And so since we specifically have in view the Appalachia region, we thought it would be good to think about the unique challenges or pressures facing ministry in the Appalachia region. And so I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on that today, brother, because you're a pastor who is serving in rural eastern Kentucky. Uh, You were born and raised in uh, the Appalachia region and in that culture, and so you have particular insights as to the kind of challenges uh, ministry is facing in that region. Uh, From your own experience, uh, from your own upbringing and from various conversations you've had with other brothers and pastors facing similar situations in their context. So please talk talk with us some about that. What are some of those challenges facing pastoral ministry today as folks are seeking to take the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Appalachia region? There are many challenges to rural ministry uh, in Appalachia in particular. One of those difficulties that I've found is just this idea of a folk religion that mm-hmm. exists there is this sense of I'm religious, I'm a Christian. I mean, if you were to go and ask someone in Phelps where I'm ministering, if they're a Christian, they're going to say yes. Then if you ask them why they're a Christian, they're going to tell you that because of their family, they are members of a certain church. Perhaps it's not even that they're a Christian because of their grandmother's faith, but that they actually might be a member of a church because their grandmother was a member of that church. Mm. So they don't even understand always what church membership even is or Mm. what's required uh, for church members because their faith is tied to family and not Christ, not trusting in Christ, not knowing the benefits of the gospel and being filled with the Spirit and and understanding um, who Christ is. And so there's this sense where that folk religion is a great challenge here, uh, because as some have called it, the religious lost. Mm -hmm. They're religious. They claim to be religious. They claim to be um, those who hold high the church and hold high the preacher, even like, for instance, you know, I, I mentioned to you before, If I'm out in town, people know me as the preacher, or sometimes they'll call me pastor. But for the most part, that's what I'm going to be called and not my name. Um, Because they do hide that into a higher esteem, but yet they're lost. They they don't know Christ. They don't know that they're, they, they know they're sinners maybe, but they don't know that they need a savior. They don't need, they don't know that they need saved always. So really there's, there's a sense where you'll see them come to Christ if you're able to 
to have the opportunity to tell them, hey, you, you need to trust in Christ. And, but there's certainly this religious um, nature that is a hindrance because many people have been taught a particular style. So another, another issue that comes up, one of the other challenges that we're facing in Appalachia and in, in rural ministry is that many people are biblically illiterate. They've not read the Bible. Some are illiterate by nature, that they're not readers and they're not reading. I, I've had many church members, I've encouraged them to read a book or something, and they'll say, I don't read. And it's not that they don't uh, know how to read. For some of them, they just don't want to read. Yeah, I mean, that poses a particular uh, challenge, doesn't it? Because, I mean, certainly Christianity, I mean, we are a religion of the book, the Bible, and we are a people of the book. It assumes a a, a bookishness to some degree of, of reading the good word and believing it. And so uh, for folks who are unable to read or simply don't care to read, that poses a particular obstacle, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes, it does. And and that's been a challenge uh, because I've wanted to encourage reading. And so there's a sense where um, to get people to, to read and to understand is, is not easy. But what that means in, in this context, that they're going to focus on preaching. They're going to focus on the hearing of the word which is a good thing. I mean, I love to preach. That's what I'm called to do. Uh, and a lot of times people think of a pastor as a preacher. And, and instead of calling you pastor, they're probably going to call you preacher in this community, in this area. But because of that, if the preacher is not preaching the truth, their understanding of truth is going to be flawed. Right. Also, too, uh, unless a preacher is able to stay around for a long time, that means they're going to hear multiple voices and they're probably going to hear multiple theologies from that, multiple interpretations and be confused. Mm. Uh, you also have this problem of folk thinking, entering in and becoming religious thinking. Mm and then becoming gospel, even though it's not gospel. Uh, I mean, you, you, we've heard those statements before. Uh, for instance, one that I deal with often is this idea or mentality that, you know, God will never put on you more than you can handle. Right. Uh, and that, that seemed to be Bible. You know, there, there's somewhere in the Bible, Old or New Testament, they don't know where it's at, but they know that it's in the Bible, and that is true. And I have people who are members of the church who have been faithful members of the church for years that believe this. Um, one, they've not read the Bible for themselves like they ought to. Yep. But number two, perhaps some of those religious leaders in the area have taught that. Mm -hmm. And so they've taken it and they've run with it. Uh, and really, it's a workspace salvation that particular statement is uh, because we understand that it's actually the opposite to be true, uh, that God may put things on you that you cannot handle mm -hmm. so that you would trust in him. That's right. You're, you're driven to an end of yourself so that you'll cast yourself wholly upon him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah I've, I've met folks in this area, earnest, sincere Christians, and they'll say, well, you know, like it says in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. Um, 
and then you, you know you gently try and, and and remind them well well friend that that's actually not in scripture um benjamin franklin is the one who who coined that phrase and it's just become of common american parlance and i forget what the statistics are but there was a survey recently that said it, it was something like 70 percent of americans thought that that statement god helps those who help themselves is in the bible uh, that's how much um of a, of a misunderstanding there there is out there on on some of these uh, common folk aphorisms like you were saying yeah there, there's so many things it's it's really um what we would call syncretism in many ways it's it's kind of the meshing of two different things into one and it's this idea of uh, of religion um, and and folk religion, or even Christianity and folk religion being brought together, and really causing some dangerous uh, misunderstandings of the gospel. So that that's certainly an issue that we face. Uh, another issue that we we face is in rural settings. You have, um, as Jesus tells us, the poor will always be with you. And so we, we have those who are impoverished, and one of the things that we are doing is trying to help them, you know, trying to, to help them have what they need, and the Lord has provided, for instance, our, our church has a ministry called Helping Hands, and through Helping Hands, we've been able to feed families, uh, we've also been able to provide them with other goods that have been donated. All of these things are donated. We we try to encourage people to see that uh, all of all the things that we give to them have been given to us by God, that he is ultimately um, behind it all, and everything is providential. Everything is from him. And for the most part, everyone's very thankful that they have that. But our desire is not just to give them physical food. <laughs> We want to give them spiritual food. We want to see them come to Christ, to come to church even. Right. But one of the, the, the problems we face is actually seeing them come to church. Hmm. And so perhaps even we're thinking of the Appalachia Reformation Network. This network is being started as a matter of discovery. You know, many people who write or teach do so so that they can discover it themselves. Uh, and we, when we write and when we teach certain things, we gain a greater understanding of that. So for me, one of the issues is just not knowing how to see those who are benefiting from our church's physical ministry uh, to see them come and sit under the preaching of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Now, we've, we've had food giveaways, for instance, where we give out like gallons of milk at a time and we'll give produce and things of that nature. And, and some of the things that we give away are government commodities and we're not able to, to do much preaching or teaching when we give those things out. Sure. But other things are given to us freely and we're able to give them out freely. So we'll have it in our church parking lot. And I've stood up on uh, the bed of a truck uh, and preached a, a, a short sermon Usually it's a, a gospel-centered evangelistic sermon. And you'll have people be affected by that. They'll ask for prayer afterwards. Uh, but we're not seeing much beyond that. And so I don't know if this is a challenge or me just confessing uh, the challenge I'm facing as a, a pastor trying to, to see to um, 
the people that we're ministering to with their physical needs right. come to see their need of a savior. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, obviously we, we believe that scripture teaches that, that ultimately the great barrier uh, for anyone coming to faith is unless God regenerates them, uh, there is no hope that God has to do that. They must be born again and only the Lord can give them eyes to see. But so that from one perspective, that's, that's really the ultimate question, but from a, from a human perspective, from another perspective, what are some of the, the major obstacles uh, that might impede someone from, from coming to faith in Christ or even having a positive opinion of the church or a, a positive impression of Christianity uh, in Appalachia? You mentioned already that poverty might be one of those, those, those human, humanly factors that might be an impediment. Uh, I, I would imagine uh, that other, other epidemics like the opioid and drug epidemic throughout the region might be among them. Maybe things like fatherlessness or broken families uh, maybe you could talk to us about some of those things. What are the, the human factors that might impede someone uh, from the gospel? Yeah, there, there's a couple of things, and I think this is a, a good question to consider. In Pike County, Kentucky, uh, where I'm at, which is the largest county uh, land-wise, ge- geographically, in the state of Kentucky, uh, but definitely not people-wise. In Pike County, though, there was a statistic that came out a few years ago that one in five children in Pike County can are considered homeless. Mm. Um, now that that's an amazing statistic. One of five children. That's huge. What that, yeah, what that means is not that they're they're sleeping in a tent somewhere, but rather it means that they are not living with their parents. Mm. They're living with an aunt, an uncle, maybe a grandparent. And we have this. The kids that we have in our church, many of them are living with aunts or uncles or grandparents and not their own parents. Uh, and so you mentioned that idea of fatherlessness, and that is something that does happen here as well. Uh, not only, so, so the cultural issues, uh, the humanist issues that you, you mentioned are um, very prevalent, where you have families that are sending their kids to church. I mean, we have this. We, we do not have very many children. Our congregation's an older congregation. Most of their kids have grown up and moved away, seeking jobs elsewhere. But most of our youth are children that we pick up. We don't have their parents. We have the kids. So another issue that we're facing is trying to figure out how to reach these parents, not just the children. But the problem is oftentimes when these children turn 18, they, they leave the church. They're not yeah. there any longer. Uh, because their parents have sent them to youth and they use us as a a kind of a glorified babysitter in many Mm -hmm. ways. And there's not a a need for a savior. There's not a need for anything beyond that, anything beyond what we provide. And one of the things that I think they know that we do, we provide their children with safe environment We provide them with entertainment. We provide them with a meal. And for some of those kids, perhaps, uh, if they didn't have that meal, they wouldn't be eating that Mm -hmm. night. Uh, But that causes us some issues because churches have the tendency to seek to provide those opportunities for children. But we're not focused on the gospel, which is the thing that is needed the most. Right. But also because of that, I think we also understand that there's such diversity 
in rural settings that we don't even realize. Um, we're, we're in a community here that's probably 98 to 99% white. Mm -hmm. So some of the racial issues that are happening in America, we really don't understand and we really can't speak to them. Mm -hmm. And when we do speak to them, they're, it's usually uneducated and it's not helpful. Yeah. But one of the things that we can speak to though is diversity. But our diversity is not a uh, race diversity. Our diversity is based on income. Our diversity is based on education. So it's an economic diversity that causes problems. Uh, some of the churches are middle class. Most of them are middle class. But you don't see a ton of the lower class coming to church or being involved in the church. And so we don't have the kind of diversity in the church that we see in our community. Mm. Uh, and that's another issue. Those who are the poor, and we're not even speaking about the working poor mm. in our community, in our area, uh, many of those who are poor are not working poor. Um, they're relying upon the government and the government's assistance to provide for their family. Interesting. Okay. And so they're not as willing to come to church as as you might think so that that actually is an area where where we need help you know we we need to learn how to minister to them as you mentioned though and this is the reminder that we have to keep in mind is that god is the one who saves and god is the one who who gives the gift of faith and it's about the faith that he gives not what what we're doing uh, but we're going to be faithful to preach and proclaim the gospel in these areas um and so learning learning to be able to minister to these families uh, that have uh, lower income or lower education levels mm -hmm. uh, is important yeah so all, all kinds of challenges um thinking through the wider culture obviously it's going to vary from town to town and county to county but uh, like some of the things you already highlighted of uh, drugs and alcoholism, uh, poverty and broken families, um, reliance on government assistance, uh, various social dynamics, all of these things uh, are such obstacles and challenges in terms of doing gospel ministry. And so because of that, I would imagine, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong or, or speak to this, that it can be often very hard to attract laborers for the field to come serve in these regions. I imagine it's hard to, to draw uh, seminary graduates to come serve pastorates in this kind of region or to plant churches in this kind of region because it is so hard. This is hard soil. And so uh, given uh, other maybe more attractive venues to serve, folks may not want to come uh, to rural Appalachia come, to come do ministry. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, for instance, are younger than most everyone in our congregation, especially the couples. And the isolation is sometimes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And it can, it can lead to uh, some joyless times if your joy is not in the Lord. And there are times where that isolation can be extremely discouraging because you, you don't have 
the opportunity to to see people mm. and to see like-minded people. So that's one issue. But then also in the rural setting, you know, you don't have coffee shops to go to to study at. You know, yep. uh, you have there are local restaurants that you could probably go and and sit in and and the, they would let you hang out and and I've done that before too. Uh, but also, you know, it's it's not ministry that is um, prolific mm-hmm. from the outside. Uh, it's slow plotting that needs to take place, and not everyone is cut out for that. Uh, in a city, life is faster, mm-hmm. and sometimes, and and I, I actually am one who who works better under pressure. So sometimes the slowness is is daunting. Um, you may have more time to, to do things, but it doesn't seem like things are getting done as quickly as you would like. Uh, also, too, because of the fact that you're you're dealing with people who are of a lower education, sometimes when you come from seminary, for instance, I mean, if you're coming from seminary, and assuming that you can start teaching everything that you learned in seminary, uh, you'll be rudely awakened to a congregation who doesn't understand you and who doesn't think you care about them, mm-hmm. even though you do care about them because you feel that you're giving them the truth, and the truth is what sets you free. The truth is what they need. Right. Um, and so it, it can be challenging to to condescend, not in a condescending way, but to come down to the level of of the congregation in such a way that you're showing them love and care and support. That's right. Meeting them where Um, they are. Yeah, meeting them where they are. That's exactly right. Uh, Because it's easy for us not to do that. It's easy for us to actually just assume everyone should know um, certain parts of theology and certain things that that we know, you know, and, and so... I think that's another issue. So when guys do come, they often don't stay very long. Uh, so if you're from a rural setting, maybe it's easier because you know what to expect. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Well, brother, this has been this has been helpful. There's a lot of things um, to think about in terms of effective rural ministry. There's a lot of there's are indeed a lot of challenges and and snags along the way. But then again, that's what Appalachia Reformation Network is hoping to address. We're trying to serve in that regard and provide resources and think through these things carefully together in ways to more effectively meet those challenges and serve the churches in our in throughout this region. And so we're going to be dedicating future episodes uh, to offering potential solutions to a variety of those challenges uh, that you set forth for us. And so that's a great launch point uh, for further episodes yet to come. So thank you so much for taking the time to... Uh, to answer these questions and to speak with us today about these uh, pressing issues. Thank you. Well, thanks again, friends, for listening. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again next time on the Appalachia Reformation Network podcast. Mm